0: Okay, all right. Friendship. We're going to do four weeks on friendship. And uh, we're starting a new series this morning. Uh, I suppose it was back in uh, October of last year, as I was preparing for the series called Sex Drift, that I was convicted of how often we overfly the subject of friendship. Friendship on the way to subjects like love, sex, marriage, children. And how often in some really, maybe dangerous ways, uh, we talk about relationships, forms of relationships that are common in life, but we leave the subject of friendship as either um, assumed or overlooked. And so we wanted to take some time to focus on the subject of friendship, and because the truth of the matter is in most, uh, all of those formal relationships, friendship's sort of like the trunk of, of so many of those things. And if, if we're not, if we don't have a good understanding of how to be a friend, uh, a lot of other dominoes are going to fall in the process. Now, we're entering the subject of friendship at an interesting time in history because of the social media phenomenon. Uh, Friend is sort of a bizarre word right now. And I'm not here to trash Facebook. Uh, it, It has, you know, good things and bad things come from everything, right? It's just a thing. But it has done some interesting and peculiar things to the word friend, it's turned it into a verb. I mean, any time that you can take a pretty important word and significantly alter it, you should assume that the culture is viewing it significantly differently. Uh, One, uh, there are plenty of people writing about this, uh, but there was an article in the New York Times several years back, and the author, she suggested about this sort of phenomenon, she says it has upended social and psychological norms. That's... uh, what she suggested, by the way that a word has been upended. She referred to a process called reversification, which is uh, in, in, as a language or as culture is changing and there's an innovation in the culture, grabbing a word, importing that word, using that word, and in the process, the word comes out on the other end, meaning almost the opposite, of what it was intended to mean. And friend is one of those. To friend someone on Facebook has very little to do with friendship. In fact, it's really different. On Facebook, there's, I think, 58 options to define your your. Orientation or identity. You have over eleven options to describe your present relationship status: married, single, widowed, complicated. I don't. I don't know. Uh, To describe your relationship with every possible human entity on the face of the earth, you have one choice: friend or not friend. (laughs) That says something to be so unnuanced in such a highly nuanced realm of life. I'm going to show you a little video. This is an old commercial from 2011. Um, In it is going to be, it's going to kind of do a little satire on Facebook, but this kind of shows you a little bit of what I'm talking about i read an article well i read the majority of an article online about how older people are becoming more and more antisocial so i was really aggressive with my parents about joining facebook my parents are up to 19 friends now i have 687 friends this is living what That is not a real puppy that's too small to be a real puppy toyota venza All right. keep on rolling Well, don't go by the, well, you can buy the Vinza. I don't care what you do with the Vinza. (laughs) That's not the point, right? The point is the misalignment of friendship in in life. And so that's what we'll be uh, doing over the next four weeks is realigning our perspective of what is friendship. And along the way, I'm not trying to create some sort of litmus test for you to decide, you know, which of your friends are friends and which ones aren't friends or what do they need to do better to be a better friend for you. That's not the purpose. Uh, there's all sorts of friends. The, m- the more I've been studying and meditating on this issue, the more relaxed I've gotten about not needing to like identify, give a genus and species to every one of my relationships. Don't need to do that. The goal is to understand friendship and let that be our guide because my heart, And I think God's heart is that he would make you a better friend, (laughs) give you a better understanding of friendship along the way. So that's what we're going to do. And as a basic, simple definition of of friendship, I I would say this. Friendship is entrusting yourself within a relationship with somebody. So it's the process of entrusting yourself to someone. That's... uh, Theme will follow us over these four weeks, and each week we'll look at a different dimension of, of friendship. This Sunday, though, know, we're going to talk about the depth of friendship. Um, how is friendship deep and not shallow? That's what we're going to look at. So, with that said, if you'll open your Bibles to Proverbs eighteen, Proverbs eighteen, verse twenty-four. And the verse will be on the screen behind you, but we'll eventually try to reference another proverb here by the end. See, so if you can have it open, that'd be great. But this is what it says. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. That's the proverb. Now, for our time this morning, I'd like to take control of two words in the proverb and and make them types. I would like to take the word companion and equate it to the idea of shallow, relationally shallow, because that's what the proverb is about. And I would like to take the word friend and equate it with something that is relationally deep, because that is the point of the proverb, I'm not talking about the nature of these companions. Are they good companions or bad companions? Proverbs will talk about that elsewhere, but that's not what this proverb is talking about. This proverb is a proverb of depth. The companions are shallow and the friend is deep. That's the picture of the proverb. In fact, the meaning is quite, uh, I might say, obvious. The proverb is suggesting that a large quantity of shallow relationships do not add up to one deep relationship. That's what it's saying. That there's not necessarily a cumulative nature to shallow companions that if you get enough of them, it equals a friend. Another way of maybe turning around and thinking about it is that the things that really matter in our life, the things that weigh on our spirit and shape our life and cost us and burden us, those things you can't take out on a table and chop up into 60 equal-sized, bite-sized, companion-sized pieces, share them with your 60 companions, and really be counseled in it, ministered by it. You can't do that. Some things in life you sort of have to dump on somebody. There's the distributive property does not work with friendship. Like, I need to distribute this problem evenly across my Facebook friends. No. You're probably, uh, many of you are probably familiar with the, this scenario. Somebody gets sick in the office and they're in the hospital. They're going to get an operation. And so they pass around the card. You know this? The card, the get well card. And there's a card coming around. And everybody on the floor, or your department, or your group, or at your office, you all sign the card. You know, and you know how it is. You come around, and you're like, well, what are people, what are everybody else saying? That's the first thing you do. So where, and where do I sign? What's a good place for me to sign that doesn't make the card unbalanced visually? And then, you know, what can I say? How religious am I allowed to be? You know, Godspeed. Can I do that? Your, our prayers are with you. Is that le- legal? You know, and, and if it's a big floor, you might get a big card. The hundred signatures. Now, I am not trying to act like that's evil. I'm all about the card. You know, I would like a big card. With a hundred signatures sitting on my you know, the windowsill. That's great. Nothing evil about this. Okay, I'm simply saying that that card with a hundred signatures does not equate to the genuine friendship of the person sitting next to them for six hours at a time in the recovery room. It's not the same. I've never heard of somebody saying to their best friend who's sitting next to you, hey, can you scoot over a little to the left so I can see the card that's comforting me on the windowsill? Friendship is deep. Real friendship is deep. Companionship is real. It's not evil, but it's different. So why would somebody choose to fill their lives with companions instead of working to develop friendship? And I'm not saying that everybody's an either or, but I I am suggesting that we have a limited amount of time. Can't do everything well. And I do think in our social media phenomenon here, there is an inclination towards really cultivating the list of companionship. Maybe at the expense of genuine friendship. Well, why might somebody do that? I'm going to offer you th- three, three thoughts, okay? These thoughts are just, hopefully to afford you a lens, an introspective lens uh, into your own life. First of all, companionship offers more than it costs you. It's a great payback, companionship is. Big bang for the buck. Companionship is easy and it's fun. And it's, well, it's easy and it's fun. It just doesn't it can cost you much. It doesn't cost you much to hang out with the guys you know once a month and and play or i mean it's all game it it's great friendship's not that way friendship costs you friendship requires that the relationship be present in the inconvenient as much as the convenient in fact friendship is grown most as it withstands the inconvenient <laughs> companionship man it's easy and it's fun. You don't have to give yourself away. You don't have to sacrificially commit. You can decide what version of yourself. In the land of companionship, you can decide what version of yourself you choose to advertise. Not in friendship. So that's the first, the first reason I think people are drawn to it. Um, maybe... maybe in a way that's beyond God's desire. I think, you know, God grew most of the world up in small villages. Just think of that. That's how we were made, small village people. Whenever we're outside of that entirely, something else is happening. Here's another thought. Companionship is often self-focused, while friendship is often other-focused. Companionship makes me feel good about me. Because I'm traveling with a posse. I got my boys. Right? My homies. It, it is reporting to me about myself. I'm cooler because they're kind of cool. And even if you're not cool, if you get enough of you together, people assume like they don't look cool, but they must be cool because they're a group. What is the mysterious coolness? I want to be part of it. Will you friend me? That's how it works. It's the power of companionship. Companionship is self-esteem maintenance for many people. Friendship forces you to encounter your true self. Friendship will say, hey, you're awesome. Friendship will say, or your friend will eventually say, you know when you do that thing, it's annoying. I mean, they may not be that blunt up front, but on the eighth time that they've tried to tell you that, because they're a true friend, they'll say, stop that. It annoys me. Or you hurt people when you act that way. You see the difference? It's maybe a healthy thought for you if you look in your life and we all have these sorts of things uh, whether it's an addictive nature some sort of sin that is returning or a burden in your life and an area that you're continually feels a little bit larger than you if you don't have somebody you can bring some of that to that's a possible sign that you're living in the land of companionship because a friend what's it say There's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. A friend is made for that. Okay, one more reason. Companionship. Why might somebody be companion-oriented? Because companionship can also wonderfully mask the isolationist. The person who doesn't, in their own mind, doesn't need other people, doesn't want to give themselves to other people, they can live in the world of companionship and it can go unmasked unma- for, for most to see. Someone who thinks to themselves, I don't need a friend. I don't, I don't really need that in my life right now. It's probably one of two things. That person is possibly unbelievably self-absorbed to say that, or they're very wounded. I mean, someone could be very self-centered and saying, I don't need, I don't need that. And find the way I am. And I would say, if, if that's at all in you, or for that to be present, it casts a very big shadow on that person's ability to need God. How can someone, I mean, I'm just saying from a, just an intellectual consistency perspective, how can someone have no need of people and yet have a vibrant understanding of their need of God? <laughs> that they're autonomous in the realm of humanity, but they have a deep and rich appreciation for the grace of Jesus Christ. I don't see it. Besides, it's a selfish way to look at Friendship. Have we given thought to the fact that God might be far more, far more concerned with how his children display friendship rather than receive friendship? Have we thought that way? You know, it's a blessing to have a friend. It's a joy to have a friend. But it's noble to be a friend. It's noble. Think of how many of the dimensions of the Christian life are resident in the notion of friendship. Friendship. So to say, I don't need a friend, may be a backhanded or subconscious way of your spirit saying I'm unable or unwilling to be a friend. There's two great commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what? Love your neighbor as yourself. The sons and daughters of God exhibit the heart of friendship. So you may not feel like you need a friend. I think God would say, yeah, but you need to be one. (laughs) You need to be one. Now to the person who feels like they don't need friendship because of wounds and and have known of some like this, I I can't point a finger at that the same way. I, I grieve someone who has been so betrayed by humanity that they will not go to that well and draw water anymore. And to that I would say you have my grief. And I hope and pray that as you learn the friendship of Christ, he would turn you around and enable you to entrust yourself to others. Because we are not isolated. In the Bible, uh, if you word search the word friend, it shows up, in all sorts of ways, surprising ways, Moses spoke to God face to face as a man speaks to his friend. That's Exodus 33. That that That's powerful. I mean, if you approach the word of God from a perspective of friendship, you see things like Job's friends spoke to him. Like, oof, not the best friends in the world. But in the New Testament, I think the best picture of friendship is the picture of Christ and his 12 friends. I'm going to choose to call them his friends. We call them disciples or followers. I think they often kind of get typecast there. But the truth of the matter is, if you read the Gospels of Scripture with a notion of friendship, you see Jesus methodically exhibiting a heart of, he's being an excellent friend to these men. He's being an excellent friend. He's exhibiting all the characteristics of friendship and they're responding I mean, you ha- you don't have to go any further than the pattern of the ministry of Jesus Christ to appreciate friendship. He gives them time. He says what they need to hear. He does not take from them. He doesn't score points for his own ego on, on their expense. He's patient. He entrusts his very life to them he gives his very life for them he even seems to need them which is mysterious to me but he brings them to a garden and he says you need to pray for me he's a very good friend the beginning of this chapter of proverbs says whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. Jesus did not isolate himself like that. Certainly there were times he stole away to pray to the Lord, but he lived among us and he befriended us. It's one of the great biblical images in all of Scripture is the friendliness of Christ to people. On the night uh, that he was betrayed, on the night of the Lord's Supper, which itself is a picture of friendship, right? This is my body, which is given for you. On that night, Jesus washes the feet of his disciples. He washed the feet of Judas Iscariot. He showed genuine friendship to someone he knew was going to betray him to death. He washes the feet. He he gives his life to them. And then he says this. You are my friends. This is John 15, 14. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants. For servants, a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. I'm calling you my friend because everything I know is yours. I fully entrusted myself to you. you know, as, we, as we set our attention to the Lord's table, as we prepare to take from that, I don't want to leave the subject of friendship in order to get to the subject of lordship. Our Lord is our friend. You mean this, this morning singing that the saints and the angels are singing? Worthy is the Lamb in heaven. He, that man, is my friend. Blows my mind. He's given himself for you. All that the Father has given him, he has entrusted to you. That's friendship. As we come to the table, receiving from our Lord and Savior his goodness, we're coming to the table to receive from our friend. His Father chooses to call us son and daughter, and he chooses to call us friend. How is that not anything but good news? I'd like to pray as we prepare our hearts. And if you close your eyes. And just to begin to address our own spirit of maybe slightly incorrect ways we view the Lord. Are there ways between you and God where there's this distance as though Christ is wagging his finger at you or he's gonna walk out on you that's just not consistent with his friendship. Are you here today and you're so wounded by humans that you can't approach the subject of friendship with God? Maybe today, maybe today you can't take the elements, maybe you're not ready, maybe today there's not faith in your heart that Jesus has befriended you with his life, but you need to hear it again. This book is full of it a message that he loves you And like a friend, he knows everything about you. He knows the good things and the bad things. He knows you so deep that there's nowhere you can go that you can hide from him. And he remains your friend. Lord, I pray we would be encouraged in that as we approach this table, that we come into your friendship. That you have chosen to pour out on us affection. And not from a distance, Lord, you came close. You gave up your divine attributes, so it seemed to us, and you came to earth and you lived among us and you suffered like us. And you understood hunger and thirst, you understood temptation, you understood hatred, you understood being a victim and in injustice. And in all of that, you said, Father, forgive them you gave yourself. What a friend we have in Jesus. And Lord, I pray that this that your spirit would resonate in someone's heart today who has lost faith in the friendliness of God. Jesus name. scriptures say that on the night that Jesus was betrayed he took the bread and when he had given thanks he broke it he gave it to his disciples saying this is my body which is given to you do this in remembrance of me Supper, Jesus took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. Allow me to pray for us, Lord. We thank you that you remind you've placed in the right ry- the rhythm and life of the church an ordinance that reminds us of your love. In your kindness and your friendship. And Father, I do lift up someone here who has been who may have been peering in at the faith and who desires your love and friendship, Lord, and I pray that they would know they turn to you, confess their sins to you, receive your forgiveness, and to begin to follow and know you as Lord and Savior. Lord, may they be free to do that here for you've called them to it. Lord, encourage us all as we are your children. In Jesus' name, amen.